peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The day of Pentecost, day of huge celebration. You know, I, the idea that God is uniting people together in the name of His Son Jesus Christ. It is just so exciting. The language thing, of course, you know, it gets confusing, especially when you've got denominations that that, that take the whole idea of these tongues of fire in a totally different direction. But we don't need to worry about that. One thing that I I thought was worth mentioning that I read last night. There's a pastor in Berlin named Gottfried Martins, who has been doing mission work there in Germany with Iranian refugees, folks that were forced to flee Iran when the Shah fell in the 70s and Islamic revolution took place, all of their intelligent and educated people were kind of forced out of the country by threat of death. But he's been baptizing these people, converting them to the faith in Jesus Christ, hand over fist. And someone had shared one of his social media posts about the baptisms that they held yesterday. Just yesterday, he baptized over 60 Persian refugees in Berlin in a Lutheran church. And along with them, a handful of, of unchurched Germans who had grown up their whole life in Germany, never hearing the gospel of Jesus, who have now come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the really interesting part was when I, I had to follow the rabbit hole a little deeper. I clicked on his profile and, and saw all of his posts, and there are Bible verses all over the place from these people that are share, are tagging him in their Bible and their posts. I've seen the Bible in Farsi, their language. It's just amazing that God is still reaching out. And one of them had something to say. I read the translation that they said, most people think of Christianity as being a Western religion. And that is patently false. When you hear in the day of Pentecost about Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, that declares straightforward, we have always been part of this. This is our heritage. Jesus Christ has always been our Savior, and we have come to know and believe in Him. We see the stories of the new life that they have in baptism. It's just fascinating. That wasn't part of my sermon that I prepared, because I just saw it only late last night, but worth sharing that the Holy Spirit is still out there reaching across language barriers and drawing people to faith in Jesus Christ. Our Old Testament reading for this morning shows the origin of the problem, diagnoses the issue. It's two different approaches that you see there in Genesis 11 versus what you see in Acts chapter 2. Two different approaches to spirituality even. Separated by centuries, both centuries apart from each other and from us, but you see two different options arise in those readings. And those same two options tend to present themselves to us today as well. The first one, especially, it's nothing new. It's the natural inclination for human beings in so many ways. It's natural to us. We are people, especially in the place that we live, that have grown up in a market economy, right? Where really the whole world is based around markets, but it seems that way in economics. Goods and services exchanged for effort or for currency. The first thing you learn in economics class day one is there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. I had a couple of different economics classes, and that's always the first lesson. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. In other words, if you want something, you've got to earn it. You've got to work for it. Somebody's got to pay for it. 
There are no exceptions. And politicians may be sometimes tempted to think otherwise, but eventually you run out of other people's money. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. At least that's what the wisdom of this world says. Our text from Genesis brings us back to the old days. The really, really old days. In fact, <laughs> ancient days. Everyone spoke the same language. So the exchange of ideas and cooperation between people seemed like it would be a whole lot easier, and it probably was. People were heading west at this point, starting to pile up, inhabiting the plains in the land of Shinar. Wherever that is, I'm not 100% positive, but scholars most likely believe it would have been modern-day Iraq or Iran. We can imagine quite a bustling city coming together there. Remember, this is early on, just after the flood. Job specialization, settlement, all the things you read about in your ancient history classes. A thriving marketplace where people could exchange their specialty for food grown by farmers rather than hunting and gathering it for themselves. It was quite a thriving metropolis. People were proud of what they had accomplished, the city that they had built. And so naturally, they would never want anyone to take that away from them. And so they said to one another, Come, let us make, make bricks, burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Here's where we start to run into trouble. Beyond just building up a magnificent city and tower, what they had really built for themselves was a false spirituality. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us build ourselves a place in heaven. The Lord was not pleased. They did not accomplish their goal of avoiding dispersion all over the face of the earth, they caused it. The Lord says, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us, right, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. There is a profound power in sharing the common language, in case you haven't noticed. We have it pretty easy because most of the world speaks English, at least people that we would ever deal with. But it is very difficult to deal with foreign languages when you don't understand or can't be understood. So the Lord went down, dispersed them all over the face of the earth, and left behind the building of their city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth. This is one of the world's first false religions, and for the most part, it's also the definitive teaching of every other false religion on earth, even to this day. Do you remember the serpent's ploy to Adam and to Eve? Ye shall be like God. Everything but the gospel of Jesus Christ, as found in Holy Scripture, works in a very similar way. Not only is it a misunderstanding of what heaven is and how to get there, you can't just climb up. 
It's also a misunderstanding of who God is. Fallen human beings have a natural tendency to think that they must find their way to heaven. All of us are born with this innate desire to do so. To devise a way to get there on our own, whether by building something, or doing something, or saying something, either to lift themselves up, or to bribe God into coming down and talking Him into bringing us there. We can see this right away here. Eleven chapters into Genesis. Eight chapters after the fall into sin. Two chapters after the flood that people just never seem to learn, do they? We think all of our problems are new. They are not. They're very, very old. This philosophy, let us build up a name for ourselves and build a tower into heaven, summarizes the world's major non-Christian religions. And it even creeps into Christianity at times. Do this so that God will bless you. Do more. Try harder. Do this or don't do that so that God will let you into heaven. Build this tower so you can climb into heaven. None of that is how God works. See, God comes down. Has anyone ever accused you of being condescending? I've heard it before. It's usually not a very positive trait in human beings. No one likes being talked down to. But the good news about our God is that he is condescending. Whether or not we realize it, which Christians usually do realize, we are unable to ascend up to God's level. The psalmist asks, Psalm 1, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. Because no one can. Only the Lord can. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus did. That's why God in his love and mercy comes down to us. He walked with Adam and Eve daily in the garden. That was the idea, his idea of a perfect creation. Beautiful creation, his creatures, and he dwelling there among them. He came down to speak to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, to give him the promise of descendants as numerous as the stars. He came down to speak to Moses through the burning bush, he came down to the holy mountain where the elders of Israel ate and drank in his presence. He came down leading his people Israel by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His glory and his presence dwelled locally in the holiest of holies in the midst of the tabernacle, the tent where he continued to travel with Israel everywhere they went. And then finally in Jerusalem in the temple. Right here in our text for today, he came down, but in judgment, on the works righteousness of Babel, confusing their language and scattering them over the face of the earth. You see, his love for humanity dictated that this kind of nonsense about climbing a tower to heaven could not be tolerated lest people misunderstand him and misunderstand his love and his nature. Even here, God's act of judgment on Babel was not to again destroy humanity, but to keep it from falling into worse sin than it already had. But God's condescension to his people, his coming down to earth, is always for the good of his people, for the good of the whole world, 
His ultimate act of condescension, of course, took place, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. Was made man. He became one of us. Last week, we looked at how the worship is not so much an act of us serving God, but a matter of God coming down to earth, breaking forth into our world with his heavenly eternal gifts through his word and sacraments. It has always been and will always be about God stepping down, stooping down to our level to bless us. The Hebrew word to bless means to bend the knee. You ever been around a little kid? When you want to show them some positive attention, what are you going to do? Bend the knee. That's what God does for you. You bend the knee. Baruch, as it is in Hebrew. In Revelation 21, we heard John's vision of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city descending to earth from God as a bride adorned for her husband. Once again, for God to dwell with his people forever and ever. That's been the plan all along. But a much greater scale, not just two people, but all of us. A great multitude that no one could number. Christian worship, the divine service as we call it, is not about us punching some heavenly time clock or climbing a ladder to heaven. Right? Despite Led Zeppelin's best efforts, there is no stairway to heaven. Right? You can't buy it either. It is God coming down into our midst. As the Holy Spirit draws us to faith and eternal life through God's established means of grace, through the hearing of the gospel, through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, through absolution, all the ways that God is blessing us in the Spirit. God didn't give us ladders to climb. He gave us the cross. God doesn't need us to tell him how wonderful he is. He doesn't already know that. He already knows, and that's why he has chosen to give us more and more of himself in his word, a share in his eternal life, to dwell with him as he continues to bless us now and for all eternity. In our worship, our praise and our rejoicing is nothing more than the joyful response of a grateful heart. Our offerings aren't earning us brownie points with God. But in reality, just another way for us to give thanks for all of his benefits to us, which he then in turn uses to continue blessing us and the whole world through his church. In his church where he gifts, his gifts continue to be given to us on a weekly basis. And his love is continually shared through us throughout the week. We are here equipped to share that love in this big, wide world that he came to save. I mentioned early in the sermon that there are two spiritualities present in our readings, two different religions, two different approaches to reaching God in our text for this morning. And so far, we really only looked at the false one. Now it's time for the true. In another ultimate act of condescension, God again comes to earth to bless his people, this time in the person of the Holy Spirit, who came upon the entire church. The Holy Spirit is often quite misunderstood or slightly ignored, but yet again, 
Here we see the true nature of God. God who loves his people so dearly and so deeply that he would come and dwell, not only with us, but in us, within. The day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came upon the entire church, has huge consequences for us. And one of the very first things that we see is the undoing of Babylon. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? You see, the death and the resurrection of Jesus had ushered in the beginning of a brand new creation. A brand new humanity that exists right here in the midst of the old one. Now, at the day of Pentecost, God was reconstituting humanity in the church. A new people, not scattered, nor their language confused, but gathered together from all over the world and hearing the gospel in their own language. And there's another interesting feature that I thought of about the undoing of Babel looking at today's readings. God says in Genesis, nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And so he confused their language and scattered them. But now, rather than being scattered and confused, we are called, gathered, enlightened in the Holy Spirit. It seems then that it would follow, as is mentioned in Luke's Gospel, nothing will be impossible with God. Everything the Spirit needs the church to do is possible. That the mission God has given to the church, bearing witness to Jesus Christ and His saving name to the entire world, that mission is possible. We have been unconfused, unscattered, and equipped for God's mission of saving the whole world in Christ. What a beautiful reality to participate in the life of the triune God in His body, the church. What a joy to confess the faith, words handed down through the church, especially as today we confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, and who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. That's the stuff the Spirit does and is doing for you now. And that's our battle. A safeguard against error and a comfort in times of trouble. That the God of the universe, the Almighty One, three in one and one in three, that He would bind Himself to you personally to descend and bless you and give you a share in the life of the world to come. A world created by His voice. A world redeemed by the precious blood of Christ that is signed and sealed and delivered to you in the Holy Spirit. And in that name we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Continue with prayer.